What do you say, Joe? Jonathan, what's up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing well. About yourself? Oh, can't complain. Can't complain. You know, now that my mouth has finally recovered from those hot sauces. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was, uh, yeah, it, it took a day or two, man. <laughs> my, my, my entire digestive system, you know, <laughs> had to recover right? a little bit after all that. That's Joe Marple, the man behind the helm of the Charlotte Street Pub. You may actually recognize him from a previous episode of this show. Joe has always been a fixture in the bar scene in Asheville, and when this whole lockdown started, he started the March Sadness tournament bracket on Facebook, pitting classic sandwiches against each other. And people really got into it. Well, recently Joe came back with another tournament, this one done in partnership with the Orange Peel's Justin Farabee and a streaming service, I Am AVL. Broadcast from the stage of the Orange Peel, the Asheville Hot Sauce Battle paired 32 hot sauces made by local restaurants and amateurs alike, while Joe, Justin, and an assortment of judges whittled the selection down to the final four. I actually got to judge a couple days of the competition, including the final rounds, and I have to say it was a lot of fun and a welcome distraction from the troubles of the world. From Dirty Spoon Media in Asheville, you're listening to Home Fried, stories to keep you informed and entertained during the coronavirus lockdown. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and today we're talking with Joe Marple. We'll be getting into some listener culinary questions later with another round of our pantry raid game. But first, I asked Joe to recap the Asheville hot sauce battle for us. Yeah, it was uh, initially a bracket of 32 entrants from all over uh, from all over town, um, uh, all over all over the area, whether they be uh, restaurants or retailers, ships, cooks, and sometimes in certain cases, just people that are home cooks. And we had a couple of musicians and whatnot submit sauces, but yeah, 32 of them, and most of them were pretty on point man it was it was tough to judge in a lot of those rounds for sure as you know yeah yeah i got to judge three rounds of that and it was uh yeah there were some tight lineups and it's one of the few i think i was telling you too it's one of the few competitions that i've had to judge like that where like nothing sucked i can't think of a single entry that that was just bad like every and normally in a competition a good half of what you end up tasting is bad, but this was, yeah, it was all stellar stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had a, a, a bit of a spectrum of different type of sauces. Um, some of them you wouldn't necessarily define as a hot sauce, a table hot sauce, you know, some of them were a little thicker, more of a paste or chutney or salsa rather than just a hot sauce. But um, all of them were, really tasty in my opinion and um yeah it was it was hard to make decisions round by round but uh uh big props to uh shane casto who that won the whole thing man and everybody and everybody else that was involved there was a lot of tasty stuff but shane took the title yeah talk about shane's sauce a little bit let's let's get into that one yeah it was uh it was a little bit different than most of the ones we had um it had a, 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 a bit of, it was a hot, it was a curry flavored hot sauce. So it had that curry, curry flavor. It was a kind of a mustard based thing. I think a little bit of citrus, uh, Caribbean style thing, you know, Island style hot sauce and just the complexity and the brightness, I think just, it, it stood apart from most of the other sauces. And, you know, on the nose, when you're first getting ready, like a lot of people said, oh man, this is going to be a curry bomb. I'm not going to like this. Or it's just going <laughs> to hammer my palate with curry flavor. But right. it was there, but it was subtle enough to let other flavors carry through. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was killer. And the heat was great. And yeah, it was just a very complex, balanced sauce. I wonder if you could go into the, the other final four there and talk about who else was, was competing on that one. Yeah, so we had... Uh, Blake Elledge with the, the Devil Baby hot sauce. And uh, he's got a uh, starting up his own little hot sauce company. He said he's got more stuff um, coming out, more stuff that he, you know, he threw out there. He's like, if you want to try it, you open the pub back up, maybe we could do some kind of 
wing thing with my hot sauces and i was like absolutely yeah we hopefully we can work that out once uh once we get everything back open and running but and i think justin was saying that uh he had one with uh kind of a trump face thing called little orange monster (laughs) (laughs) but uh the 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 hot sauce that blake submitted the devil baby hot sauce was definitely the spiciest one of the entire competition yeah um, you know, I think, uh, it was the 2 million Scoville units. Right. Yeah. Which I will yeah. say that it was insanely spicy, but it was not as bad as I was, I was expecting when they, no, when no, they said mean, that it was the 2 million. I was like, what really? That was, that was it. Yeah. And I, it stuck with you for a little while, but I yeah. mean, there was, there was good flavor in the midst of all that heat too. Yeah. And I think that's why that's kind of what carried it because it had a great heat level and really good flavor because a lot of hot sauces you taste, you're just like, okay, all I taste is heat. And that's not what you want necessarily out of a hot sauce. Right. You know, you want it to pair well with certain foods and you want the acidity and the flavor to come through as well as the heat. Yeah. I mean, that's and the, I think it's uh, the point of a sauce is that it has flavor, not just, <laughs> not just heat. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And um, uh, third place was uh, Chastity, Chastity Edwards, I think, from uh, Deli Llama Food Truck, her Llama Spit Sauce. Um, really <laughs> versatile, versatile flavors in that one. Um, I, from what I remember, you know, you got a little smokiness, sweetness, acidity, and heat all the way around. Well-balanced sauce. It was really good. Yeah, that was that might have been. I mean, I had a hard time deciding between that one and the the first place one because it was just such a smoky, rich flavor. Like it had so many uses, it just wasn't as spicy as the others. But yeah, yeah, yeah it it uh, it for what it lacked in the heat department, it made up with the fl- overall flavor of it. Uh, I thought, and um, uh, the other one uh, in the final four was. Uh, Brian Bennett from Zombra, his conspiracy theory sauce, which had a fantastic label on the bottle with, uh, you know, coronavirus things and build image of Bill Gates and <laughs> all this type of stuff. And yeah, also very nice sauce, you know, definitely uh, more than just an honorable mention. Like I said, out of all of those 32 sauces that making it to the final four that, you know, it says a lot. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, there was a couple other ones, um, like uh, it did. It didn't make it to the final four. It made it to the or fiery four, as I was calling it. <laughs> it made it to the lit eight. The death slap from Mamacitas. Oh yeah, that was really fan, just fantastic dynamite flavors in that one. But it was a little bit more, as you said, and some people said, more of a paste or a spread. Right there, uh, you know. You know, you put a chip in that and eat it all day. I mean, and the heat was just, yeah, I mean, I, w- I would almost say it was the second hottest yeah. sauce of the entire thing. And um, it's really good. I, I actually brought that one home. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, I was like, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to use this, with, you know, what was what was left of it. And uh, got to gotta give a shout out to Sam Etheridge, too, of formerly Ambrosia, now um, A-Team Catering, when it, you know, whenever catering gets back right. <laughs> becomes a thing again but uh he went against um it was it was a blind draw and happened to go against shane casto's fire sauce in the right. first round <laughs> and that was just so unfortunate i mean fortunate in a way but unfortunate because if they were on opposite sides of the bracket that yeah. could have been a final four sauce easily i mean you tasted it you didn't uh you didn't judge that portion, but right. I had you taste it. Yeah, and, yeah. It was killer. It was awesome. Oh, man. Just a fantastic <laughs> sauce. So if you're listening, Sam, well done. Yeah, <laughs> I honestly. Mean, it was just it's the way it went. I'm like, you, it lost to the eventual champion. So there you go. Right. No, that was a, that was the one of the hardest competitions of the whole thing, I think. But, uh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and the, uh, the names. Who won, uh, who won best name? Um, yeah, the little, uh, poll that we did, you know, on Facebook and, um, 
with the with the judges that we had uh, on the panel that day. Um, Ryan Klein's uh, Dragon Skeet number one got the <laughs> most original name, <laughs> and we have a prize package set up for for Ryan of of, of Zombra. He's the uh, he's the executive sous chef or executive chef at Zombra. Um, and it was a great sauce too. It happened to get, I can't remember what knocked it out of the, it was a second round, I think. Another really good sauce that, as I mentioned yesterday, um, someone swiped it, or as I mentioned Saturday rather. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just disappeared. Someone stole the dragon skeet. That shouldn't like, be hard to track on, down man. who did that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I have a pretty good idea, <laughs> but um, I'm like, Come on, man! I wanted to at least take some of it home <laughs> because it was a good sauce and a great name. Right. And and Ryan, I've I've worked with him in the past. He's a he's a great chef. Uh, as we talked about, Zombra is just one of those long-standing, you know, go-to restaurants um, in town. Um, I can't wait to go back there. Hopefully, in the coming months. But uh, yeah, Dragon Skeet, and there was there was some competition as far as the names of the sauces went. You know, we had Cthulhu Ferrigno. That was close in the running for most original name. Banana Erection, uh, Caribbean Kulo, Caribbean Kulo Destroyer. Yeah, that was Andrew Boyd's. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Banana Erection was Steve Goff. Um, Cthulhu, Cthulhu Ferrigno was uh, Thomas Fisher of uh, Simple Juice Bar. Um, yeah, lots of good stuff, man. Yeah. I mean, there, people could definitely got created with the names and the label labeling and everything. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I have also brought you on here not just to talk about hot sauce, but to uh, to play a game of Pantry Raid, our, our yes, favorite sir. quarantine kitchen game. Mm-hmm. So I, I asked on a couple different Facebook groups um, for people to submit ingredients that they no more than three ingredients that they were having trouble utilizing in their pantries and uh we're gonna try to make recipes out of those yeah and uh i guess let's start with uh mandy and frederick maryland has leftover gravy nori and leftover pork roast hmm you know, obviously the gravy and the pork roast, you know, you could think of uh, a number of things to do with that. But you throw the nori in, and <laughs> right? that's, a, that's a definite curveball there, because we're not working with seafood here. <laughs> no. We're working with, uh, I'm sure, some kind of pork or beef, meat gravy, and leftover roast. Uh, you said pork roast or pot roast? Is pork it, uh, roast, pork roast. Pork roast. Um, you know, seafood and pork is a, a, a natural combination, but is nori, it's not necessarily seafood. Well, my first thought <laughs> was just make a, a ramen out of it. Use the gravy yeah. to make your stock and then, yeah. um, you know, cook your noodles, do some onions some maybe some sliced up veg and, uh, you know, like cabbage would be great in that. And then slice mm-hmm. your pork roast really thin and throw it in there. And then just tear the nori up into little chips that you can, you know, or strips that you can slip in there and scoop up. Yeah, with your spoon. yeah, 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 yeah. Just kind of it, kind of a garnish or accoutrement for it. And yeah, that that could definitely be, you know, you take that gravy and just that you're infusing the broth with that, and uh, yeah, it, it, and it could be. A nice little, uh, yeah, that's a good way to go with it. And then that that nori in the broth will allow it to take on that kind of kombu. It'll act like kombu, you know, it'll give it that that kind of seaweed flavor. So it'll give it that 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 Japanese stock. Yeah. Yeah. What would you do with it? it, um, Yeah, a a similar type of thing. Um, You know, it it says like uh, a noodle dish. And um, I you could go a slightly different direction and make kind of a pork stroganoff type of thing out of it <laughs> with, with noodles, have some egg noodles and, um, some mushrooms. Um, yeah. Instead of using, um, uh, like a, a red wine type of thing, you could do a rice wine, right? Like sake, right. And, uh, rice wine vinegar. And so it would be kind of an 
Asian infused, even though I mean, I don't love the term fusion food, oh, but, but at the same time, that still sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you know you just take that pork and uh, and reheat it and and just toss it in with the gravy and like I said, you get the get the sake and rice wine quality of it, and then just kind of crisp up that nori and just use it as a garnish. Yeah. And you can just crumble it on top. Yeah. Exactly. And you would have, you, you know, I think you'd have a pretty tasty dish out of that. You know, a little thicker than the ramen direction that you went with it. Right. You know, a little, a little heartier, but yeah. you know, and just, yeah, just use some, use some wide egg noodles. No, that sounds as fantastic. Your, as your base for that. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Frederick, Maryland, very, uh, very familiar with that town. I was born and raised in West Virginia. I grew up about two hours from there. So. Oh, really? That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, Luke, he's got nutritional yeast, a tin of gray anchovies, and canned chickpeas. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, right off the bat, you can, with the chickpeas, okay, yeah, you, naturally you think of hummus, okay? And you got, to me, you could go two ways with this, and I want to get your feedback on it, what I was thinking about. You know, just puree the anchovies with the chickpeas and the, and the nutritional yeast all together, and then it's kind of like a spread, but not, not so much a hummus, but more of a thicker goddess dressing meets yeah. Caesar dressing. Yeah. And, yeah, that actually sounds wonderful. And uh, do it with a little uh, charred romaine and uh, citrus zest, maybe a little chiffonade of basil over yeah. that. And that would be a great snack, like starter type of thing. Or you could go the falafel or croquette type of thing with it, huh. with the nutritional yeast and, and chickpeas and come up with the, you know, and fry them, you know, kind of make, kind of make a ball yeah. or a canapé. And give it kind of cheesy it. flavor to it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. huh. Yeah. And obviously I'd maybe add some Parmesan, if you, whatever type of uh, grated cheese you might have around yeah, that, that would go well great. with it. Yeah. Yeah, would it, uh, what way would you go with it? I went with a salad. I would do, mm -hmm. I would toss greens, onions, day old bread, and celery, toast the bread, make croutons, and top it with the anchovies, and then do a dressing with that nutritional yeast of just white wine vinegar, uh, olive oil, mayonnaise, and that nutritional yeast would act like a cheese in there. Yeah. And would give it a nice salty, nice cheesy flavor. And uh, yeah, that just sounds like a fantastic you know, nice warm summer day and just knock out that salad. It'd be killer. Use the chickpeas. I always love chickpeas in salads because I'll, I'll just toss them with some curry spices and just right. brown them a little bit and to get them a little softer and, and crispy on the outside, softer on the inside. And uh, you just end up with these nice, like crunchy, you know, really delicious um, salad toppings. Yeah, definitely. While we're talking about chickpeas, let's go to Karen in D.C. She says that she has a ton of chickpeas that she overbought, and she's sick of making hummus. So we mm -hmm. can keep going on that. that thing, one of the things that I love to do with chickpeas is you can just crisp them up, just throw them in the oven at like a low 350 degrees or so, and just like keep moving the pan in the oven until they just get nice and crunchy on the outside. And yeah. they make this nice, like, kind of popcorny snack. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. I'm assuming they're canned chickpeas and not yeah. dry. Chickpeas. Yeah, they are. So, um, yeah, as I mentioned before, with the other dish, um, you could always go the falafel route. Yeah, with chickpeas, and um, you know, if you have some uh, parsley and cilantro, maybe shallot or red onion, and just make the falafel croquette type of thing with them because it's going to bind well, you know, maybe if you have a little tahini to go with it, which is chickpea based, that would be cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and, but to what you were saying, yeah, you could almost do, um, you got a little wasabi powder. You toss them in that and do a wasabi chickpea oh, type yeah, of thing. Be great. Just for a toast it up and have a, you know, a, a little spicy, salty, crunchy snack. Hell yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. The other thing I love to do with chickpeas is make tagine. 
I'll do like a veggie mm-hmm. tagine, and if you do preserved lemons, that's just salt and slice your lemons up and sure. cover them in salt and let that sit for a few days until they they really pull out all that liquid. And uh, you throw those in to cook with you know tomatoes, onions, olives, potatoes, carrots, and then and garlic, and then use like a it's usually a combination of like cinnamon and clove and coriander and cumin. Yeah. Aromatic, aromatic spices. Yeah, in there for sure. Yeah, it's almost like a curry, but it's not spicy. Is what I love about tagines, and then they have that like citrusy flavor with the brine mm-hmm. of the olives. It's just such a great flavor combination, and you just serve that over rice, or uh, or with uh, with um, couscous is is great with that too. Yeah, um, yeah. There's so many uses for chickpeas, and what is that? Uh, what do they call the the liquid in the chickpea cans? That you can use as like an egg white replacement or substitute. Oh, aquafaba, yeah. right? Is that it? Yes, that's it. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And I've heard, I've heard it tell. I've never actually done it myself, but it's pretty people awesome. It, people using it as an egg white substitute for cocktails. Yeah, that, and you can that use call it for an egg white, like um, um, Ramos Gin Fizz. That yeah, would take an egg white. You could use that aquafaba in there as a replacement, and it would be vegan. Yeah, so, and you can use it in baking and things like that. So it's always worth saving yeah. your your aquafaba. And I believe it freezes. I'm not positive if it still works the same way after frozen. But uh, um, I'm sure it probably does. Yeah. Speaking of those one ingredient things that people are are running out of ideas to do with butternut squash. Debbie in Asheville is trying to figure out what to do with her butternut squash, and that is one that I think gets like. It gets pretty boring just to eat roasted butternut squash or make butternut squash soup all the time. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, those are the two most obvious things. It's just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to slice it in half, de-seed it, and roast it. But butternut squash is very versatile. You could do a lot of different things with it. I'm I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, like, where do I start? Um, (laughs) You know, if if you got some chops in the gnocchi game, you could make a fantastic gnocchi with butternut squash. I've mm-hmm. done it before with some success. Um, certain things have uh, the level of starchiness to make gnocchi. Certain things don't. It's definitely been trial and error for me over the years. But um, you know, you just, you know, get a, get a little bit of flour and maybe even um, a little bit of ricotta, and mm. just kind of make your gnocchi base with the with the butternut squash, and that would be a nudie. Nokia, I guess, but yeah. uh, it definitely works. And you, you know, you can just look up a recipe. You know, we all have uh, we have uh, virtual cookbooks in our pockets at any given point in time. <laughs> right. You know? So just like look it up. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you make noki or nudie out of butternut squash, uh, that's one way of doing it. And um, I like always like to do fritters mm-hmm. with butternut squash too. I mean, you could. Uh, Blanch it, blanch it or roast it off a little bit to make it a little more pliable and um, add whatever seasoning that you're feeling that day. A little bit of a little bit of flour. Wouldn't use cornmeal, but you could, but you don't want it to be too gritty. Right. And just fry those things off, man. And uh, and and it's just a, a perfect appetizer type snack. I mean, who doesn't like a nice crunchy? Like think a corn fritter, yeah. but. You're using the butternut squash instead, and just with a little like crema, chipotle crema, sour cream, and oh, some yeah. chipotle adobo spice. I mean, I've I've done that plenty of times. It's it's a, it it's great, and I mean, it's not just like boring old roasted butternut squash, you know. Right. Get a little bit of brown sugar, and like we said before, with your uh, um, your chickpea idea, the t- tagine, um, aromatic spices like allspice. Um, clove, cumin, coriander yeah. works very well with that. I mean, it's, it's butternut squash is a fantastic vessel for a lot of different seasoning and flavors, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I the way I went with it was um, I was at a Korean restaurant one time, and part of the banchan, like the little side dishes that they bring out for you, one of them was just butternut squash that was tossed in like a glaze of. Um, fish sauce, honey, and soy sauce. And then it was, to- you know, delicious. just d- top that with green onion and mm-hmm. toasted sesame seeds. And it's absolutely delicious. And you can serve that cold too, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's 
yeah, that's just a great side dish as well. And it also plays really well in curries too. Like, um, Oh yeah. Coconut milk and, uh, and, and butternut squash is fantastic together. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Moving on. We've got, ah, Leah McGrath, the dietitian from Ingalls markets put in lasagna noodles, cauliflower and fish sauce. Well, right off the bat, I mean, um, I know on uh, our exhibit A of this conversation, you said ramen, but this makes me think ramen too, right? With the fish sauce, and you could blanch those new those lasagna noodles and cut them thin, yeah, into like basically fettuccine type strips. It's not going to be ramen type noodles, but you could definitely do a noodle bowl there, um, and just kind of slight chop up the cup. Well, roast the whole head of cauliflower or whatever that you have, but, but don't take it all the way and season it however you want with the, uh, um, in this application, I would say, um, do more of an Asian type spice to it, yeah. whatever, you know, with a uh, sesame oil, um, a little rice wine vinegar on the marinade for the cauliflower and, um, coriander, uh, your ba- basic, um, uh, Asian spices. Um, you could even go a little bit Vietnamese with it, like maybe more of like a pho type thing. Yeah, but that's actually the direction I was up. going. Was uh, was pad ki mao, the Thai dish. Yeah, just take those yeah. noodles and 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 slice them a little thinner, or even mm-hmm. do them kind of thick. I remember when uh, when they did drunken noodle at uh, at um, Ganshan Ganshan Station. Yeah, he yeah. always had these like nice thick flour noodles that were flour and egg noodles that were just like nice and wide and pillowy and that's i Mm. mean lasagna noodles are great for absorbing sauce and it's one of the best noodles you can cook with outside of just making a lasagna just break them up just tear them up a little bit but yeah to do pad key mouth it's mainly the sauce that you have to worry about and it's just equal parts soy sauce fish sauce simple syrup and if you have it throw in some oyster sauce and uh yeah and then just toss yeah, that with the noodles and the cauliflower, and you can stir fry the cauliflower, carrots, bell pepper, garlic, any other stuff yeah. that you have with like maybe some a little chilies. black beans in there. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think that would give it a, a, a kick, a, a different profile and texture. And um, I remember the drunken noodle dish at Ganshan, one of my favorite dishes there. It was you get you got it with the, you could get it with the black bean chicken. Oh yeah. So you yeah. could kind of do the black bean cauliflower thing as opposed to the chicken. Totally. That's great. And I great. think that would be delicious. Yeah. Andrew has MSG, dried Mad Hatter peppers, and pickled garlic. Oh, obviously right, obviously right out of the gate on that one. Not just because I'm coming off of a hot sauce competition <laughs> that I did all week, but you have three serious components for the starter of a great hot sauce there except aren't mad hatters sweet peppers they are sweet so you uh, i mean the more they ripen the more kick they get okay with, I, uh, i've just as, never had them spicy as, before they're they're south american right peruvian yeah. i think or, or peruvian colombian yeah um, there's ones yeah. with the weird kind of sh- clover like shape to them yeah they are sweet so if you're going to if you're going to do a hot sauce type thing with it, um, you might want to add a hotter chili, like maybe at least a, a Serrano or um, whatever. You, I would go. I would go with a spicy green chili to go with the sweeter red chili. Yeah. Um, but you have with the pickled garlic, you have the garlicky acidity that you want out of a sauce. And um, you have the umami from the MSG. So, right. I mean, maybe not necessarily a hot sauce, but you could you could have a solid marinade for yeah. some pork or shellfish out of that. And um, My thought was do a romesco because you have those sweet peppers, do garlic and tomatoes, and just, just you know, roast all of that together and then throw it in a food processor with some almonds or sunflower seeds. Yeah. And just puree yeah. the thing, and you're done. Like you're ready to go. Yeah, and a romesco is a versatile sauce, and it's done right. Delicious. I remember 
doing a blind pig dinner in Raleigh. Uh, it was the being Abraham Lincoln dinner it was based on, uh, Abraham Lincoln's favorite food. So I, I had, uh, dates and bacon. Uh, I did bacon on two different dishes, but for dates, uh, I did, uh, uh, devils on horseback, which was, uh, an almond stuffed date wrapped in bacon. And, uh, I did a romesco sauce for it. And people were just flipping out about the room. They were like, how did you make that? How is it so good? I'm just like, well, it's a pretty basic sauce. You know, yeah. <laughs> roasted, roasted red peppers, almonds, you know, what, what, a little, maybe a little basil and oregano and you just puree it with some nice olive oil. And there you go. Yeah. But, and it can be put on anything. Like I, I love romesco on eggs in the morning, like romesco on potatoes, oh, yeah. like just tossing vegetables in it. It's such oh, a, yeah. it's such Potatoes a great, brava. Yeah. <laughs> with, with romesco, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. So, yeah. so good. You, yeah. You, you kind of, you, you went on that, on that regard. I wasn't even thinking romesco <laughs> when I, when I, when I saw those three, three ingredients, I thought a hot sauce or a pepper sauce marinade type of thing, but yeah, romesco is definitely a way to go with that one. I agree with you there. All right, we got three more, and they're they're kind of weird ones this time. So we're gonna start with Jordan, who's got a keg of Craggy Brewing's Tubab Brew, which, for those that don't know, that is a brewery that closed something like six years ago. Uh, at least, yeah. Um, Star <laughs> where, Anise it was where Highwire is now, where High, yeah. Highwires. And a lot of the brewers at Highwire got their start at 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 Craggy. Yeah, and then went on to uh, to redeem themselves <laughs> yeah yeah um no so he's got craggy brewing tuba brew star anise and squash blossoms uh um, well squash blossoms that's a fantastic thing uh especially this type of year um in a lot of uh, mexican and latin american cuisine um you could you could do um several things with them um Stuff them with a uh, ricotta, queso fresco type of thing, and fry them. Um, yeah. And, and uh, to to use the star anise, then you can infuse the star anise into the filling, the stuffing of the that you're putting into the squash blossoms. And uh, the, another application is to make quesadillas with them with the squash blossoms. Oh yeah. So well, how are you going to use the, the beer and the star anise? <laughs> ah, see, there's the, there's the tricky thing. The, um, the nine-year-old beer that we have there, because uh, he said on the sleeve it was like 6-2-2011. I, I guess you could do, um, I mean, it's been sealed up. I'm sure it's not rancid beer at this point. Uh, it's just old, and it's been in the sixth hole for years. <laughs> so you could make some, uh, uh, chicken tinga or, uh, baracha, baracha chicken to, um, go along with your squash blossoms that you stuff with a star anise infused ricotta or queso fresco, or the, like I said, the quesadilla thing. That's, I mean, talk to, uh, a, a Latin American chef, um, whether the, whether they're from Mexican Mexico, uh, El Salvador, and they're just like, oh yeah, quesadilla, man, quesadilla all day with the with the squash blossoms. Right. Yeah, so, I was thinking, or, or you could stuff them and fry them. Yeah, I went more of a Mexican route with mine too, doing like a, the um, corn based soups and using the the beer in your stock. Mm-hmm. Um. And then you can even add that star anise in the stock, and it would it would add a lot of flavor. Sure. And then yeah, do definitely. that with cut up some zucchini and some squash, and you know use your corn, even throw like a parmesan rind in there to get a nice texture to it, and uh, and use those squash blossoms in there, and it would be perfect in that soup. But, yeah, uh, I believe uh, Andrew said he had a uh, pound of star anise. <laughs> you're not going to need anywhere close. You're not going to gonna that. need that much, but uh, <laughs> no. all right, Monty has a uh some beef bile some white truffle oil and some fennel pollen this is one that i thought about and thought about (laughs) and i'm just like i 
don't, I don't have much on this one, John. Okay, because I, really <laughs> okay. I th- the only thing I could come up with is exactly what I bet he has the beef bile for, which is a Thai-style tripe soup. I forget what it's called. Right. But in Thailand, yeah. there's like this this very sour, bitter um, beef bile soup. And, uh, you know, you need tripe or beef heart for that, garlic and mm-hmm. ginger. Um, you can use the fennel pollen because it would take on that star anise kind of role and give you that, that licorice kind of flavor. Um, chilies and onion. And the most important thing for that soup is the lemon is what cuts through the flavor and makes it bearable even. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, definitely some citrus and acidity. But would you add lemongrass to that as well? Yeah, if you have lemongrass on hand, yeah, that would be great to use. But, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just if, trying to think of what we it, most likely have that, on hand. And you can yeah, get that's not tripe. We just for, have sitting around most of us. Right, and you can get tripe at you know like Save More or any of these. Um, oh yeah, you can you get it a Tunnel Road Ingles. Yeah, for dirt cheap. Any, it's, anytime. It's, yeah, it's quite useful for hangover soups. It is great for. Um, yeah, I, I suppose you could uh, do a menudo type of soup with mm-hmm. the beef bile, and if you have some tripe, and um, if, you know, to take it, you know, back to a Western method yeah. of cooking, um, what just I mean, you got to be light-handed with the with the truffle oil, though. Yeah, just you, use you it know. like you would use a, uh, a um, sesame oil. How you kind of top soups off with sesame oil sometimes, mm-hmm. just to give it a fragrance. Not to overpower yeah. the flavor of the dish, but just to give it a fragrance. And, you know, yeah, to me, that's the only thing that truffle oil is really worth using anyway. Right. But. Yeah. If you're too heavy handed with it, then it's just going to dominate everything. It can it can overpower a dish very easily. You know, fresh truffles are a different thing, but truffle oil or truffle salt, you got you, you can't have a heavy hand with it. You know, you got to use it sparingly and uh, when applicable. And with those, that was the, those three. I was just like, "Oh man!" <laughs> yeah. No. All right. And lastly, we've got Seth with Activa RM, liver mush, and squirrel that he has in his freezer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I believe the way he put it. Uh, pretty sure I still have a dead squirrel in my freezer. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm hoping that it's. Uh, that it's uh you know dressed and skinned and it's not just a full-on squirrel with fur on it (laughs) (laughs) sitting in his freezer i'm hoping it's uh slightly prepped for cooking at least but uh uh, with those ingredients um that screams to me meat pie oh yeah um you uh, so you take the squirrel. Well, I guess we ought to first explain what Activa RM is. It's uh, it's a meat glue. Yeah, it's transglutaminase. Yeah, yeah, and it's, so it's a it's a solid uh, binding agent that it, you know in the way uh, gelatin could be in in a lot of dishes. So you can make a slurry with it. Um, well, this but, is the yeah, one that the RM is the one that you can apply dry too, which right, is kind of cool. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. it has way more applications that way, I think. Yeah, definitely. So um, I would say you, you get that squirrel, break it down, <laughs> do, a, do, a, do a braise on it, but not until it's fork tender, which is what you would do with the squirrel to make squirrel gravy. But braise it off with uh, some stock, chicken stock or whatever you may have on hand, and, you know, throw some whatever – scraps of veggies in there just for you know some carrot celery aromatics braise you know season it braise it and just salt pepper nothing nothing super fancy on the braise until it was pliable until you can pull the meat not necessarily like i said not necessarily fork tender and then you take that meat chop it up with the liver mush and just kind of pan sear it saute it all together with kind of a holy trinity type thing um garlic garlic uh maybe jalapeno if you don't want to go too spicy you could do uh anaheim chilies yeah and uh shallots and um maybe a little celery or celery seed to get to give it that punch and 
then you as you're doing that you add the activa rm as a meat glue and it's going to bind it all together and you make just kind of just basic paprise type dough yeah like yeah. pie crust you know a pot pie sort of thing or yeah canadian meat pie like my friends over at sawhorse do but you're using squirrel and liver mush these appalachian <laughs> ingredients and i think it could be really tasty if done right yeah my thought my first thing that i went to was i was like well you got the meat glue so let's uh let's glue some meat together and uh mm-hmm. why not do um croquettes with that you know you could you could yeah. glue use a little garlic and onion glue the uh the you know you you'd want to braise your squirrel beforehand and then um shred it and glue it with the 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 other uh, the liver mush excuse me and uh mm-hmm. roll those in little balls roll the balls in cornmeal and then just deep fry them you know yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that that i think i mean squirrel a lot of people will think of it's like oh that's a it's two there's two sides to why people don't want to eat it it's like oh it's just a tree rat or oh they're so cute <laughs> right but i've i mean i was again i was born and raised in west virginia I've eaten squirrel plenty of times. It, you can't just you can't just break it down and pan fry it because you're no. going to be chewing on it for about thirty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> if you do it that way. But it's a it's a it's a tasty rodent. Yeah, <laughs> if you, you braise it, it, it's going to be great. It's oh, really yeah. like yeah. squirrel and raccoon both are just really decent if you if you prepare them right. There's actually I have a. Uh, and Seth, if you want the recipe, message me and I'll send it to you. The, I've got the, uh, I've got a uh, White House cookbook from 1850, and okay. they've got their squirrel stew in there, and it is, it looks quite good, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's like a, they do like a four hour braise on the things. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's it's used a lot in Brunswick stew, mm-hmm. um, throughout right. Appalachia and certain parts of the South. Um, some people use rabbit or some other type of wild game, and then there's chicken and smoked pork usually involved. But squirrel is a component in that. And I I can remember when I was a little kid, my great grandmother, Nanny, is what we always called her. She was like, "You boys go out hunting, bring me back some squirrels. I'll make some gravy, and it'd be you know just squirrel gravy over biscuits, you know." Mm. Which is another thing that I, you you know you wouldn't necessarily need the meat glue for it, but just Liver mush and squirrel gravy over biscuits, and you, you could incorporate <laughs> the meat glue in there somewhere, just kind of as a thickening agent, right? Instead of making a roux, yeah. But yeah, the, the, I love your croquette <laughs> idea and uh, and my meat meat pie. Oh idea yeah, the meat pie sounds the, great. Yeah. Um, I guess lastly, the last thing to talk about, Chris had a question about knives. He has a bunch of knives that are kind of dull. And he's just trying to ask how to breathe some life into old knives. And I was like, that's a that's a great question. And one I'm sure a lot of people are dealing with now that they're cooking at home so much and mm-hmm. using their, you know, unmaintained knives. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, a, a dull and not maintained knife can be, I mean, that's, that's how you get, that's how you cut yourself. Yeah. More than likely in a kitchen is Definitely. working with a knife that's not doesn't have the proper edge on it. It slips so off it, the food and slices into your uh, finger. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. If, you know, if you have a if you have the nice honed edge and a sharp knife, it's going to it's going to glide right through whatever you're working with. And uh, I know I <laughs> I didn't know it would make it to this portion of our uh conversation here for home fried, but so I went ahead and was like giving the guy some hints. You're like, ah, hey, save it for the airwaves. So yeah, like, yeah. Okay. No, but what? But, how uh, would you? How would you handle it? What would you use to just you know maintain knives at home? Because there's a difference between your carbon steel knives and your stainless steel knives too. Yeah. Well, what I was saying, it, it all starts with having a proper steel and not just one that's like, you know, that you see hanging on the rack at uh, Ingalls or Harris Teeter for ten bucks. You know, get 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 a good quality knife steel and that hones the edge of your knife you just work it over it back and forth one side other side one side flip side back and forth and you know Gustav makes some very good handheld knife sharpeners so Mm -hmm. after you run it over the steel several times then 
take it and run it through that hand sharpener. And that can make a world of difference just right off the bat. Simple as that. Yeah. You know, rinse it off, make sure you have all those metal shavings off there and you're going to notice a big difference there. And from there, you can go to a whetstone system. Mm-hmm. Um, that definitely gives you uh, the better edge. I, I'm not sure. Do you have any uh, experience with that? Yeah, I don't. I haven't used whetstones as much because most of the knives that I keep at home are, are stainless steel, not carbon steel. So it's kind of right. useless to use yeah. a whetstone on them. But it, yeah, there's the that, that there's the big difference right there. If they're carbon steel, that's one thing. If they're stainless steel, that's another. Um, a lot of the ones that I work with are carbon steel, um, especially like uh, I have a, a shun. Uh, Japanese knife and um, you you can uh, you can definitely bring that edge back really tight with a whetstone system and uh, you you can look it up in order you you know you basically keep the stones soaked in in water um, and you just bring it out and you run the edge of your blade across it kind of like you would with a handheld steel yeah and and it really it can really bring the edge back and um another problem that i've had from time to time working in hectic kitchens you just got your knife in in your hand all of a sudden you turn around it hits the floor the tip breaks off right and you're like oh man i just busted the tip on my knife so that's where uh kind of little mini angle grinder could come into come into play and you know just do your research um, when, when going about things like that, cause it's a little mini power tool and you don't, right. you don't want to go about it the wrong way, yeah. but it's at the same way you could bring that tip back to life with hmm. just a, a, a mini handheld and angle grinder grinder. It's about the size of, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of so like, uh, just like your kitchen handheld can opener. Right. Much. Right. Yeah, and I was also thinking um, if you don't have a steel at your house at the moment or a whetstone or any of these things, um, the backside of a coffee cup, if you just flip a coffee cup over and it's got that kind of unfinished ring around the base of it, that works great to just straighten out any place where your knife may have a nick in it or where it may not be perfectly lined up and just straightens the edge of your, your blade. And, uh, yeah, anytime I've been like out of town or, you know, staying in an Airbnb or something and had to sharpen a dull kitchen knife, that's just the easiest way to do it. Cause you've always got a, a mug that's like that sitting around somewhere, you know, bottom of a plate or bowl might work too, too, but it's just that one ring at the base of it works great right. as like a, in yeah. a pinch to sharpen things out. Yeah. I, I've never tried that, but I, I have heard of that. I could see it working because it has that coarse gritty texture to it and, as far as like the technique of honing the edge of a knife with a steel or you know bottom of a coffee cup or whatever you're working with, there's a YouTube video for everything. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if you're not as informed as some of us, uh, uh, as far as sharpening a knife or putting a honing the edge on a knife, look it up. Yeah. There's going to be a YouTube video for it. Because it is an easy way to screw up your knife, too, if you're not oh, yeah. doing it the right way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, Joe. And, uh, oh, yeah, no problem, And, and playing our, our, our pantry raid game. Yeah, I think we had, uh, I think we had some good stuff. Yeah, uh, I'd, eat, it, I'd eat just about any of that stuff. I, uh, I'm still yeah. not quite sure about the beef bile, but... Uh, Everything I outside. Know, beef bile and fennel pollen. And, uh, <laughs> like, oh, really? <laughs> Come on, man. That's a curveball, a changeup, and a spitball all at the same time, man. <laughs> yeah, I feel like at this point people are just trying to throw us off with this game. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I could just throw one of mine out there right now. I have uh, some, um, I, I, there's this brand of rice and grains. I think it's called Underberg. And uh, this brown rice takes about two and a half hours to cook. Um, uh, you, you know how rice always lies as far <laughs> right. as cooking instructions on the bag. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, you're full of shit. That's not going to work. But I've, two or three different times, like, and my fiance keeps clowning on me. I'm just like, look, I've cooked rice 5,000 times in my life. I know rice. This is bullshit. So, <laughs> some rice that takes about two and a half hours to cook. 
um, some chipotle adobo paste and uh, Italian sausage. What do you got for me? What have I got for you on that? Mm-hmm. Um, About a half a pound of Italian sausage. You know Brown, what I do is cake. since I don't like brown rice for very much of anything, just because I think the flavor is weird, the texture is always weird. But what I found right. that I like brown rice for is congee. So okay. I would run that rice through a food processor and break it up a little bit. And then a I would just... good idea. Yeah, because then it'll cook a little quicker. And then I would just mm. stew it down until it turned into a porridge. And I would top it with that sausage and, and that hot sauce and be done. Yeah. And that's your yeah. breakfast, you know? Do like a, a, a fusion like Latin, Asian, congee, you know? Maybe do like yeah. a fried egg right on top of it with like the soft, nice and, and yolky. And that's, uh, yeah. that's a very good idea. <laughs> I, I, might, I might have to do that tomorrow morning or start messing with it tonight or something if I'm up late. Joe Marple is a founder of the Asheville Hot Sauce Battle and manages the Charlotte Street Pub. If you have culinary questions for our next round of Pantry Raid, be sure to email them to us at thedirtyspoonavl at gmail.com. Home Fried is a production of Dirty Spoon Media. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and I'm the editor-in-chief. I produce the show, and I write and record our interstitial music. Catherine Campbell is our editor-at-large, manages our website and our marketing, and keeps the engines purring. To catch the latest episode of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, be sure to tune in to 103.7 WPVM the first Friday of every month at 5 p.m. You can also catch up on back episodes of the show, stream any of our podcasts, check out the artwork from our contributing artists, or support us through our Patreon at our webpage, dirty-spoon.com. We'll be back with new episodes of Home Fried every Tuesday and Thursday, with occasional episodes on Saturdays. To subscribe, just search for the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts, always bringing you stories from the people who shape what we consume right here at the Dirty Spoon.